Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning, North Main. I'm excited to be, I'm back with you a little bit um, sooner than I usually am. Usually there's a little bit of a gap there, but uh, got to be back with you and I'm excited to be back with you. I'm excited to be continuing this uh, new sermon series that we're in, this uh, Christ versus culture, Christ in culture, Christ and culture, church and culture, right? I've been calling it all sorts of different things when I've been talking to people. I'm like, oh yeah, it's Christ and culture. And I was like, no, it's actually the church and culture. Um, but it's all the same idea. We're going to be looking at how do we as the church interact with culture and how do we um, stand our ground? Where do we stand our ground? How do we um, look within this culture that uh, looks so vastly different than what we're seeing? And so we're going to continue on and today we're going to be talking about, uh, the, the title of the sermon is, uh, is, is Weirdos and uh, even that, I'm not even sure. I never remember these things. <laughs> Signs, wonders, and weirdos. See, like that's, uh, I, I write these things and then I can never uh, remember which order they go in. Um, part of being dyslexic. If you don't know, that's, uh, that's not always fun. Um, so we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to be looking how the Holy Spirit interacts in our church. And maybe how it should be interacting or how we should be interacting with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pick up our story um, in Acts. And so we're going to start out here this morning. Um, but before we do, I just want to go into our, um, our key point here. I just want to start out um, with our key point being the Christian life devoid of the Holy Spirit is meaningless. And I want to keep that in the back of your head as we go through this because um, if we actually look at that and we say the Christian life devoid of the Holy Spirit is meaningless, it becomes pretty impactful pretty quickly. Because there's a lot of times, I think, in our life that we go through living as Christians, living our life as Christians, coming to this place, um, where I would say we see an apparent lack of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to claim today, which, which I am, that, that the Christian life is devoid um, of the Holy Spirit is meaningless, if that the Christian life devoid of the Holy Spirit is meaningless, um, then we've got a problem because if we're not seeing the Holy Spirit, we're seeing the Holy Spirit act. Don't get me wrong. We're going to talk a little bit about that. The Holy Spirit is constantly acting and moving. But we're not seeing the Holy Spirit act in such a way that is um, similar to what we read in the, uh, in the New Testament in the first church, what we see in Acts. And now that's not saying that it's not happening places in, in our world there are places in our world where it looks very similar to that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But I kind of want to open it up. Just by saying to all of you that um, I'm excited about this uh, topic, this topic of the Holy Spirit. And if I come off as a little jumbled, it's because my mind has been going in so many different directions as I've been studying the Holy Spirit. Uh, to share a little bit about myself, for years and years, uh, when I was working at uh, Dutil as, as the youth pastor, 
I would take a topic or something that uh, I felt God calling me to. It could be an idea. It could be um, a, a something that I needed to work on in my own life. So sometimes it would be something like love. I, I need to try and work on what it means to love and what it means to look like love the way that God calls us to. Or maybe it's hey, I've got an anger problem, so I need to work on my temper. And I would take one of those things, and I would uh, start at the new year, and I would work the entire year on that. That would be kind of what I studied. That would be what I looked at. Um, I would be trying to work on those things. It would be my prayer time. would be focusing on those things, and I would try to look at that. And as I was leaving um, Dutil, and I was starting this next chapter in my life, that kind of got put on hold, just trying to figure out life. You know, it was like not enough um, going on, right? That, that, or there's too much going on. That, there's just not enough time to spend um, doing those kinds of things, right? At least that's what I was telling myself in my, in my head. There's um, so much where we were trying to move into a new house, trying to start a new life, trying to fix up what's going on. And so that kind of got put onto the back burner. And as we started to get settled, um, I just felt this deep sense and deep calling where God's saying, like, hey, I need you to kind of re... He's like, I gave you a little bit of a breathing room. I gave you some space. And I need you to start, you know, jumping back into this. I need you to start pulling back into this. I need you to start centering yourself back in. And I kept feeling that, and I kept feeling that. And I said, well, God, I'm not sure where you want me to go or even what direction. Because a lot of times in my life whatever I was going to focus on became really apparent. God would make it really apparent. It would either be really apparent because someone would be like, hey, man, you need to work on this, <laughs> right? Like, you get angry all the time, or hey, like, you know, like, you're, you're struggling here, and I'd be like, okay, this is something that I need to work on. Or other times, it was just like, over and over and over again, I'd be reading about the same thing. You know, I'd just be reading through a passage of scripture, or I'd be reading through a Bible study, and this idea or this topic would keep coming up, and I would say, okay, God, like, I get it. That's, that's what you want me to focus on, but I just didn't have this clarity going into this, and I spent all of almost 2019 searching for what that was, and what God was calling me to look into, and where he was calling me to go, and into 2020, we, this pandemic hits, and all of a sudden, it's just like, I'm, I'm on the verge of backsliding again, kind of putting this on the back burner, and one of the cool things about the pandemic was that everything slowed down. And God was like, no, you don't have the excuse to put things on the back burner now. Like, now is the time you're going to focus on it. And so I've taken all that time that we had, um, and that's where I've poured my mind into. And the topic that he's really been kind of putting on my heart is um, what I've titled, like, Seeking the Spirit. And so for, um, I start, it started on my birthday, my, my study, um, which is September 16th. I started there. And I just said, this is when I'm going to start from September 16th to September 16th. I'm just going to be seeking God. I'm going to be trying to, any, any kind of ideas of the Holy Spirit, any kind of ideas of what I thought maybe, I'm going to try and push off and I'm just going to try to look at what Scripture says. I'm going to try and hear what the God is telling us as, as a group, as a congregation, how he's speaking through other people. And I just said, I want to, I want to experience the Holy Spirit in a new and, and powerful way. And so that is where I am at. And so my, I'm reading like all these different books. I'm reading all these different things. I'm listening to all these different sermons. I'm trying to parse through uh, what this means because there's so much variation within the church as to how the Holy Spirit is supposed to interact with our congregations, with our people. Um, and you may be sitting there today and you may be on the like way other end of the spectrum as someone sitting down on the other side of the pew as you. 
Right? There's, there's all the way from what's called the cessation movement, which is that the Holy Spirit no longer acts within um, the, the church in the same way that it did in the, uh, in the New Testament, all the way up to like the more Pente- the Pentecostal movements where it's being slain in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is expected to be present in every um, gathering and in every organizational you know, group thing where they get together. And so when we have this really big disparity within the actual church body, it's really hard to kind of parse through and look and find out where is God actually? Because usually God's not in the extremes. He kind of ends up somewhere in, in all that minutia where he's like, hey, I'm here. You're just missing me. Um, and so that's what I've been trying to do. And so I'm really excited because today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and how are we supposed to interact with him? How is he supposed to be present here? We call him in. We say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, we want you to be here. We want you to be a part of our lives. But what does that mean? What does it mean? So we're going to start out here um, in Acts. We're going to continue our, our story here. We started out in Acts 2, 42. And we talked about um, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, um, and to the sharing and meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Next verse is Acts two forty three, And it says, A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This was part of the early church from its very, very, very beginning, from the conception of what church was supposed to look like, from this very beginning, signs and wonders were there. And they were present. We see it repeated. The next verse that we'll go to is in um, Acts Acts 5, 12 through 6. This is later on. So the church has become established to to some extent, right? So the church, they've begun to meet. They've begun to hold regular meetings. They've begun to try to form kind of some ministries. They've been bringing in tithes by this point. And we see in Acts 5, 12, the apostles were performing many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages from around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. This was something that was happening regularly in the churches. Read the New Testament. It doesn't stop. It continues. It doesn't even stop with the apostles. It continues to go on, signs and miracles and wonders. It goes out into the people that were part of those early churches. We see people prophesying, just members of of congregations, to to Paul as he's doing ministry. We see people performing miracles, healing people, as they're just going about their normal um, gatherings. This was not something that was uncommon. It was part of this beginning. It was something that they expected and they were looking forward to. 
We see in Acts 2, 14 through 18. Acts 2, 14 through 18. This is right after the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. This time, this day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit entered in like tongues of flame, and they came out and they started preaching. And Peter becomes um, emboldened by the Holy Spirit and begins to preach. And here in this passage, he quotes a prophecy that was given by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, Joel prophesied that God would send a Messiah, and after that Messiah came and conquered, he would pour out his Spirit upon the people. And Peter comes out, and it says here, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you have assumed. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. Even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy goes on, I'm going to read a little bit further, and it says, and I will cause wonders in heaven, heavens above and signs on the earth below. Peter goes on to say that that time that is being prophesied by Joel, that was a direct quote from that prophecy that was given by Joel, and that time is now. That's what he says. He goes on and he says it very clearly. He says, that time is now. The time that is, you're experiencing, the time that Joel talked about is right now. And what's really crazy is that he goes on and the disciples go on and this continues and there's no, I, no kind of clue within this New Testament church that they had any inclination that this was supposed to cease or stop. This idea was not something that was given. And, and again, I, I apologize if, if you're sitting and you're saying, well, man, I was, I was always taught that the... That, you know, the gifts of this Holy Spirit ended, that they, they ended and they don't happen anymore. It's like the, those kind of prophecy and healing and those kinds of things. And I can tell you a little bit of background there about why that happened. What ended up happening is that the church, the church corporately as a whole, had been lying about miracles to get money, to get power, prestige, you name it. And they were really, really, really like easily detectable lies. They were just like, nope, it was a miracle. And what ended up happening is as the church became reformed, as it began to reform itself, it said, we don't want to have anything to do with that. We don't want to have anything to do with these lies and this false. And we don't want to have anything to do with, with trying to gain power. We just want to be in a place where we know, where we know God. And so in an in a attempt to try and guard themselves from this evil, they cut it all off. And they said, because we can't see the works of the Holy Spirit actually happening, all we can see is these lies, so it must not be happening, and so therefore it can't happen. There's nothing in, in 
Scripture that says that. There's nothing in Scripture that even points to that. I can show you here. We turn to uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. This is Peter, the same Peter that just talked about this being the time when the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out and that miraculous, wonderful signs were going to be a part of the daily experience and regular experience of the church. That same Peter, he's talking here, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there were, will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them or bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teachings and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Church, they knew it was going to happen. He even says, he goes, listen, there's going to be people that come up, and they're going to use this idea. They're going to use your, your want to love others. They're going to use your desire to experience God and your thirst for the supernatural, and they're going to use all of that to try and trick you. And he says, watch out for it. But he never says that it's not going to happen, right? We, it's not, he never comes out and says, listen, anytime, because that would be what you would do, right? If you were going to give a warning, if I was going to give a warning to you and I knew that God does not show up in miraculous ways anymore, supernatural ways, and that only liars and cheaters and swindlers use those things, I would come to you and say, hey, anytime that stuff shows up, just ignore it. It's not real. But that's not what they say. They say there will be false teachers, there will be false prophets, but there's also going to be real ones. There's also going to be people who do miraculous signs that can do these things. We see that specifically in 1 John. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. It says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit, this Spirit being the Holy Spirit, you must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. He says there are going to be people. That means, what he's saying there, that means there will be people that come with the spirit from God to prophesy and to speak, to speak into our congregations, to do miraculous and wonderful things because we serve a God who's not bound by constructs of this world. He says there will be people, for there are many false prophets in the world, and this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has a spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Here's the thing. This is where I'm going to be totally open with you again. That's kind of my thing whenever I, I preach. I don't look at it as a, as a way of me coming and trying to scold you. or try, It's me just literally kind of dumping the things that I'm trying to go through and think about. I'm struggling with this as well. Because I don't see supernatural things showing up in our church in the United States. And so I have the tendency 
And the, the uh, reaction, my reaction, tends to be the same as what the, uh, our, our church elders was. Well, if I don't see it, then, then it's not true. So then I start to think, but that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that it should be here. So then you start to think to yourself, well, then maybe God's not true. Maybe this is all made up because if it's not showing up, well, no, I can't believe that. So it must just be that God doesn't work that way anymore. And we try to do these mental gymnastics. And here's the truth of where I'm kind of coming at. And this is early on in my study. Remember, I just started this in September. But where I'm kind of looking at now is that it's us. It's us. It's not God stopping or, or not being who he's being or doing things in, in, in different ways. It's just us refusing to acknowledge that he is who he is. That's it. It's me. It's me refusing to give up the things that I want to give up. I will be honest with you. There was a time I was driving this week, and there was a thing in my life that I was just refusing to give up. And I literally had the conversation with God earlier on in this year where I was like, I just don't want to give that up to you. I said that. I said, I just don't want to. And on that drive, I said, God, I just want to give it up. And peace came over me. Because we refuse, the little crevices in our life, we refuse to give up. We refuse to submit. We refuse to do these things. And as a church, together we do those things. It becomes magnified. It becomes magnified to the point where we say, no, it has to be this way. And God's like, uh, I showed up like a burning bush. <laughs> you guys going to congregate around that if I do? I showed up like a pillar of smoke and fire. Are you guys going to follow it if I do? I don't know. Is it going to fit in the building? <laughs> Is it going to burn it down? This is where I'm at. I'm seeing a church in this place in the United States, in Europe, that has just said, God's just not. God is who we want him to be. God is this thing that we've put here, and he's an idea, and he's, he's this thing. And God says, that's not what I am. I am alive. I am moving, and I am working, and I'm going to be doing those things. And if you don't want to tap in, then you don't, I'm not going to force you. And as a congregation, as a group across a whole country, I believe we can miss out. I believe it. I believe we can miss out. And the world tells us that that's okay. We talk about church versus culture. The world tells you, and there may be some of you sitting in this congregation right now saying that I'm crazy. I probably, a few years ago, sitting in that, in that pew would have said, yeah, that guy's crazy talking about signs and miracles or whatever, like that stuff's, like, yeah, that may be, like, in the here, that's good for in here, for stories and for things like that, but it's just not science, it's not real. God is outside of what we can understand, and if he's not then he is not a God that I want to follow. If he can't control all of this, if he can't orchestrate things, if he can't create me, if he can't intercede in miraculous ways, then he's not a God that I want to follow. Because it means he's not all-powerful. God is a God that can do all things. And here's where, here's where I am. We're going to do the next slide here, I think, is the, the beginning of kind of where... I have been starting to work. Um, I've said, well, how do I get into a place 
where the Holy Spirit can work in me? How do I get into a place where I can experience some of the things? And I'm not searching after these things because I want to chase after the miraculous. That's one of the things that I've really struggled with this because the Bible tells us, Jesus says right to him, he goes, hey, uh, you want a miracle and because of that, you're cursed essentially. He's like, because you demand a miracle, I will not give you one and you will not see one and you will not believe. I'm not doing this. I'm not trying to chase after the Holy Spirit for that. I'm trying to because the Holy Spirit is God. I was having this conversation with my, my wife on a drive yesterday. We went looking at the, uh, the leaves and I said, we're so quick to push off blame like on Adam, right? And, and when we put in our, our, we say, well, if I was in that place, like I wouldn't have done it. And then when we're honest with ourselves, I do it every single day, right? I've failed from the time I was a child. I am Adam. Christ is the second Adam. He comes in and he fulfills it. And he says, I am the perfect representation of humanity. I am fully man and I am fully God. I am what it was intended to be like, human and God in unity. And Christ says, we can't do that yet. I died for you. There's going to be a time, but I'm sending someone that gets you close to that. I'm sending you someone that makes you even more like me. Even more like me, that fully God, fully man. You're not going to be there yet. You're never going to be like fully God, but you're going to be in this place where you can be in unity with God. And he's saying that was that intended to walk side by side. Adam, that initial, his, his intent was always that. And yet we come in and we say, I don't like that. Because God may do weird things. He may ask me to believe things. We, I, I, I was talking with um, Pastor Brandon this, this week, and, and we both said, so there was a time whenever um, a, a parishioner came up, and they, or a church member came up, and they, they did a prophecy for um, Paul. And we both said, Paul stops and he accepts this prophecy, and he, says, and he goes about and he preaches it, and, and he talks about it. But here's the thing is that we both said, would we do that? If someone right now stood up and said, hey, I have a prophecy from God, and, and this is what he says for us, I don't even know if I'd know how to recognize it. That's bad. And it's scary, because that's how God's supposed to move. That's it. We're in this time. That second time that Peter's talking about, we're in this time that's after the Messiah, where it's between us and this end times, and we're supposed to be this body that is on fire, that is filled with power and passion. And we're not. We're afraid. We're afraid that we may come off as being weird. We're afraid that by claiming the power of Christ, we will lose our holding in the world. And I say, fine, I'll lose it. Fine. I was listening to this pastor, and he was talking about coming out of 2020, and he was like, I think coming out of 2020, you know, the Hollywood's going to be totally reformed. They've been shook by this, and Hollywood's going to start to um, become part of, of the, uh, the Christian walk, and we're finally going to be gaining ground there. And I say, no, that's not. I can tell you that's not. I mean, and maybe that is, that's, a, that's part of what I'm talking about here, right? I'm trying to figure that out. Maybe that is what God wants to do. I don't know. My gut tells me that's not. And it's not something that I'm hoping after. It's not where I'm putting my, my hope that someone in this elevated state will bring everyone else and wake everyone else up. I have to wake myself up. I have to become in tune with God on my own fruition. 
I have to thirst after him and seek after him, just like each and every one of you do. I was reading um, John Wesley. If you're not familiar with John Wesley, uh, he's a really cool guy. He should, <laughs> he is, you should, uh, you should look into him. Um, he, much of like today's denominational stuff broke out from his teachings. What, basically, a short story of what he is is that he was tired that the church was excluding people from being able to come in to the church. Uh, the church wouldn't let you in if you had uh, certain, you know, class stating, state, like if you were like a lower class person, if you had been in prison ever, um, if you had just all these different things, if they just deemed that you were unworthy to come into the church, then they would do that. And Wesley basically said, I don't see that in the Bible at all. And so he starts preaching this, and then the churches basically kick him out of the churches. They said, well, you can't preach here because that's not, you know, what we want you to say. He says, fine, I will go and I'll preach in the fields. I'll preach in barns. I'll preach in the prison. I don't care. I just want to talk about God. I thirst after God. And people started coming. Thousands and thousands. And out of him was formed the United Methodist tradition. Also, if you're unaware, our tradition. D.S. Warner one of the founders and the other founders were heavily influenced by Wesley and what he taught. And here's something that he, he did a group of sermons, and one of them was on, uh, or a couple of them were on the uh, Last Supper, or not the, Lord, not the Last Supper, he did speak on that, but the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And in one of those, um, in that sermon, he says this, and it's a really powerful quote I was reading, and I just was like, man, he hits the nail right on the head. It says, And it is impossible to satisfy such a soul, a soul that is a thirst for God, the living God, with what the world says, and I'm paraphrasing a tiny bit, with what the world says is religion, and what the world says will give you happiness. The religion that the world says comprises of three things. First, in doing no harm or abstaining from sin. At least such scandalous sins as robbery, theft, swearing, drunkenness. You see his little jest there. He's like, well, at least ones that people will notice. That's what the world says is important. Second, second he says, the world says doing good is important relieving the poor, being charitable. And thirdly, coming and using the means of grace, meaning the church, the Lord's Supper, and baptism. He who has all of these things is marked by the world a religious man. But will these things satisfy him who hungers after God? No, it is not food for his soul. He wants a religion of a nobler kind, a religion higher and deeper than this. He can no more feed on this poor, shallow, formal thing than he can fill his buddy belly with the east wind. True, he, he is careful to abstain from evil. He is zealous in his good works, and he attends the ordinances because he wants to. 
But all this is not what he longs for. This is only the outside of that religion which he insatiably hungers for. The knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. The life that is hid with Christ in God. The, begin, the being joined until, unto the Lord in one spirit. And having fellowship with the Father and the Son. Walking in the light as God is in the light. Being purified even as he is pure. This is the religion, the righteousness that he thirsts after. Nor can he rest till he thus rests in God. They were facing the same things. Here's the truth. I think what we're coming up against, and if you're, if you're feeling it like I'm feeling it, I'm coming up against these things where we're looking at this church and we're saying, it's good. I love coming here. I love seeing all of you. I love singing the songs. I love the worship, but it's not enough. It's not enough for me. And it's not that God's not enough. You may come in and you may think, well, man, like Matt's just, you know, he's chasing after us. And it's, yes, I am. The Bible says I should thirst after God as a deer thirsts after water. There's, there's one time uh, in my life where I've experienced like real, what I would call thirst, and it's not even in comparison to what some people have had to go through. Um, I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Me and my buddy did like 70 miles of it. And we're hiking along, and we had planned spots where we were going to find water where they said, you know, there were creeks and streams and whatnot. And we went through, and there was a drought in the one area that we went through, and we couldn't find water for like two days, and we didn't have any left over. And so for two days, we're just going, and we were never in any real harm. I could call if there was an emergency. We could probably find a way out, but we were pretty far from, from uh, any kind of like stores or anything like that. And I remember like a panic starting and just like starting to think like that. And I was like, anywhere. We just kind of like threw our packs down and we start looking. We're like, there's supposed, there's got to be water here somewhere because we know it rained. It had to have collected here. We're running around and it's just like, that's what I want for God. I just, I don't want to be okay where I'm at. I don't want to be okay where, where we're just sitting and we're just, we're just, where this is. we should be content with who we are in Christ. We are saved. We are provided a way for eternity. Christ has bought and paid you if you have accepted him as your savior. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about thirsting after or trying to find something that equates salvation or something, but I'm talking about the Bible talks about God's kingdom. And that's what we're here. That's what we're here all about. Church versus culture. The Bible says God has a culture he has a kingdom, and it looks very different than what we have right now. And I want that. But here's the thing, is that that looks so different that it even says that it's turned upside down on its head. Right? The people who were weak and the people who were uh, broken are going to be the people elevated. The pe it's all topsy-turvy. And if we think we can use the ways that this world has provided to get there, it makes no sense. Because what we're building here is opposite of what we're building here or what we should be. And so my thirst and my hunger is not for that. It's saying, I want this miraculous. I want signs and wonders because I want it to be so a part of my, my day that, my, that I'm not surprised by God's movements. That I'm just okay with it. 
And I don't know, this is just being, being, again, honest. I don't know what that looks like for the church, exactly. I don't know. Like I said, I made points here. It says how we should put, this is how I've been trying to put myself into a posture. I'm, I'm calling it a posture of acceptance, that Holy Spirit. The first thing that I said is that it should start with us having awe for God, fear of God. Every place where the Holy Spirit shows up, every place where God shows up within an actual like, manifestation, a spiritual manifestation, is preceded, or prior to, I should say, was an humbling of the person. Think of all these people. They were brought low before God. They were in a place where they felt fear. Even the, even the apostles who were on a, a uh, they were kind of on a crescendo, right? They were up on this place because they had experienced Christ come back and they had seen him ascend. And so they're in this place where they're, they're really, really jazzed up to, to go out and do stuff. And yet he says, calm and wait upon the Lord. Humble yourselves and fear him. And it says that an awe comes upon the disciples. That awe should lead us, the next point is, that awe should lead us to acknowledge with our hearts and minds that God is all-powerful and in control of all things. We have to acknowledge that. If we're going to have the Spirit, if we're going to allow the Spirit to work in this place and really do the things that He wants to do and the things that God wants to do, then we have to be in a place where we just say, you're in control down to the little tiniest things in our life. You are in control. This is something that I love, but I will give it up to you. I, I, I will give it up to you if you ask. This is really hard. I know. This is something I'm struggling with. Once we acknowledge who Christ is that's, and who God is in our position with him, that's that whole part. Putting ourselves in kind of a humbled state. This should cause us to thirst after God. When we acknowledge that we serve the God of the universe, a God that is in control of all things, why would you not thirst after that? Why would you not chase after that? If you believe it, if you actually believe it, why would you not chase? That means reading your Bible, praying, being in relation, you actually thirsting and seeking after in your own personal lives. The next one is that... Um, I don't know, the next slide should come up here. That word should teach us to wait on the Lord. If you read scripture over and over and over again, it points to this idea that God has perfect timing. And anytime we try to manufacture things of God, it doesn't work out well. Think of um, Saul when he tries to do the blessing instead of waiting. And God says, That's, I won't even accept it. I won't even accept that offering. It's actually going to work against you now because you didn't wait. We see so often the church trying to manufacture. We see that early church people being added to their numbers daily and we say, well, how can we do that? We want the end results without allowing God to give us the means to it. They didn't know. They didn't have a plan. They were literally sitting in the upper room, praying, 
The Holy Spirit came upon them, gave them guidance and direction, and then they went out and they just started doing it. And I'm not saying that plans are necessarily bad, but I'm just saying that we have to be willing to act when God says act. We have to be willing to say, listen, we believe that this stuff is real and we believe that God is real and that God is over all things and that he's over us. And so if he says do this or do that, then we have to do it. And we have to do it now. And that should finally lead us into this last point. It should be ready, that should put us in a posture to be ready for the supernatural. We should be poised and ready in our hearts and minds. Ready for the supernatural. Ready to recognize it. There are times when God has showed up in my life that are really, really supernatural, and I will share them with you. If you'd like to know more, it's happened, right? But it would have easily been able to be say, oh, that's luck. Or that's, uh, oh, that's weird. That's, you know, that's wonky. How'd that happen? Oh, I don't know. I was praying for it for the past two, three weeks. That exact same thing to happen. So it's not wonky that it happened. And it's not that God necessarily, again, we'll get into this whole other thing as we talk, but God's not a genie that just answers things. We have to work within his will and within his guidance. But when we do that, when we're in a posture of submission, which is really hard for all of us, because we want to be our own kings and our own queens, when we're in a place of submission where we say, you are God and I am not, and I am waiting and willing to act in however you ask. That's when God shows up. And he says, man, I, and I've said this before. He goes, man, I've been waiting. Because I've, I've been doing all this really cool stuff over here. I've been doing all this really, really neat stuff. I mean, there's, there's stuff, if you try to look it up, Pastor Brandon, I've said this before, but if you try looking it up, it's actually hard to find some of the stuff, but they're there. There's real things. There's an actual case of a, a person called uh, Mercy Wheeler, it's very hard to find anything about her for real, but there's actual academic papers written about how in a revival, she had not walked for like eight years, and then she just stood up, and she never was back in a wheelchair again. But the church, here's the thing, that happened at a church service, and the church said, we don't know what to do about that, and we've believed up until this point that those miracles have ceased, so maybe that's of the devil, and they just said, we don't want anything to do with it. The Holy, she went on to do ministry and to, she was an act of God. And they were so unwilling to be open to it that they just pushed it away. And what I truly believe is that God says, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. Right? Because what does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, if you come into a town and they don't accept you, dust off your sandals and move on. We can miss things. And the idea, these, you know, these, this idea that's been perpetuated that, well, Jesus is, you know, you, know, you just have to, you know, be willing to, it's just this fluff that he's always there and he's your buddy and he's going to be, I'm not saying that he will leave you. He will never leave you. He will always be there. But he will say, man, if you're not going to be a part of this and you're not going to be a part of it, I love you so much and I want you to be and there's always room for you to be, but I have to do my work because my kingdom must come. And that's what I want us to be a part of. I'm working through it. I don't know all the answers. And, and maybe in a year from now, I'll come back before you and I'll say, oh man, like, oh, I guess God showed me so, so much and it's so cool. Maybe I'll come back and I'll say, you know what? I'm not sure. 
what God is wanting to do, but he's, he's led me in this direction. I don't know, but I want to be open to it. I want us to be open to it, whatever he's calling us to do, whatever he's calling you to do, because it's got to be better than what's happening, right? Even if you, even if you limit God to that, it's got to be, you talk about like voting and all this kind of stuff, and there's like, I see the signs where it's like, anybody but what we've got, right? Anybody would be better. At this point, what do we, what do we have to left to lose? Then to trust in God, the God that created all of this. We've been trying to fix it on our own for so long. I just want us to, to push it all away. To push it all away and just say, I'm here. I'm here and I'm willing to accept whatever you want for us as a body and as a person. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, we come before you. God, we thank you for giving us staples in our ministry like the church, for giving us places of anchoring, for giving us your word and for giving us baptism where the outpouring of your spirit can be seen and felt. God, we thank you for giving us those things, but as Wesley said, we want more, we want to know you more. It can't just be about that. It can't just be about these things we've set up. It has to be something more. That baptism has to change us. God, we want to be changed. We want to be washed clean. We want to be totally dead and brought back to life. And in that new life, we want the miraculous to be something that is normal. We want to be in a place of unity with you. We want the Holy Spirit to be moving in our lives in such a way with such entanglement that we can't tell where we begin and where you stop. God, we want to think the things that make you happy. We want to be chasing after the things that you chase after. We want to love people the way that you love people. God, we come before you this morning and we just ask for forgiveness. We repent. We repent for chasing after our own desires, for chasing after glory, for chasing after fame, for chasing after money, for following idols. We just put all those things at your feet and we apologize. God, if we believe and we do that you are who you say you are, God, be a part of this congregation, not just a part, the head. Help us submit to you in our lives, in our personal lives, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our desires. God, Let us fall down into a posture. God, please. God, you say that if if we pray and we seek after the things of your heart, you will give those to us. And God, so we pray that, we pray in everything that we are and all who we are, lessen who we are and make more of who you are in us. 
fill us. God, we will wait. We will wait to act. We will wait for your spirit. And God, when it comes and we believe it will, we will act. Give us strength and courage to do that. Make us more in tune to your voice, your whispering voice. Make us fearful of you. We worship you. We lift up your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.